want to take just a moment to pause as we prepare our hearts to receive the word this morning. Almighty God, we come before you. And we just take a deep breath in. And we exhale. God, we're going to do that again just to inhale your presence here with us this morning. And then we're going to exhale to release the things that are clouding our minds right now, Lord, just to open them up to receive you in this moment. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, we find in the New Testament several letters that the Apostle Paul had penned, and one of them we find to uh, the church in Galatia. And he talks about living in the Spirit's power, in the Holy Spirit's power. So here are these words from Galatians 5, 16 to 18. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what, simple, of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. And we go down to verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 20 through 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So again, we are starting a new sermon series called Peeled. And uh, throughout this series, we're going to be talking about uh, the different various attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to peel back uh, some of these attributes to take a closer look at them. Now, just so we know, it's not a multiple choice. Okay, today I'm going to have self-control, right? Or I'm only going to practice goodness. No, it's a fruit. It's all of them. But we're going to take a look, like I said, at different attributes. But we are to possess and embody all of them. Patience is hard for some, and it's even harder for others. A few years ago, I thought I would start a family tradition, and some of you may do this, uh, when Thanksgiving comes, that you get a big puzzle out. And you work on it together as a family uh, as the weeks progress up to Christmas. And I've, I've got a friend that she's an avid uh, puzzler. And so she'll give me her hand-me-downs. Well, these are big puzzles. They have like... I don't know, several hundred pieces, some of them up to a thousand. And I thought, oh, this will be fun for us to do. Oh, my Lanta. <laughs> uh, it took me 20 minutes just to match up two pieces. And I'm like, this is not relaxing, right? I had no patience for it, if you know what I mean. But I found out my kids love to do puzzles, and they just love the challenge. So I enjoyed watching them do the puzzles, but I thought, there's no way. I just don't have the patience to do this. You see, you, you may uh, be in a situation right now where uh, it's requiring you to have patience. You, it's requiring you to have patience. And, and some of you are frazzled right now, maybe at your wit's end. And, and sometimes we lose patience with people, right? And sometimes there might be an image that comes to mind as I say that. Uh, I, I like to call these individuals EGR, right? Remember EGR, extra grace required. Those, those folks that, that can test our patience. So where do you need patience right now in this season that you are in in your life. Where do you need patience? I want to share a story with you, and, and I'm not sure if you've heard this story before, but it's a great one. There was a couple, 
that went to the Holy Land. And uh, while they were over in the Holy Land, unfortunately the wife had gotten sick and she died while she was over in the Holy Land. And so the husband met with the funeral home over in, in the Holy Land in Israel and he said to the husband, you know, we, we can bury your wife here in the Holy Land. It's very inexpensive. You know, we would love to honor your wife by, by, by um, having uh, her buried here in the Holy Land. He said, or you could have her sent back to the States. But it's going to cost thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to send her back. And, and so the man thought about it and he says, no. He said, I really think that I want to have her, her sent home to America. And so the funeral uh, director, he was just completely puzzled and baffled. He says, you know, I don't understand why you would want to spend all that money to send her back. And he says, can I ask why you're willing to spend all that money and just not have her buried here? And he, he thought for a moment and he, he said to the funeral director, he says, you know, some years ago there was a man that was buried here. And he was buried and three days later he rose from the dead. And I just can't take that chance. <laughs> Isn't that a great story? So this morning, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about patience. And I know uh, Pastor Tim spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, but this morning we're going to take a, 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 a dive, I can't talk, a deep dive, right? And we're going to dig for patience, the patience of Job. We hear that saying all the time, right? You've heard of that, the patience of Job. So what exactly does that mean? So we're going to talk a little bit about Job's life. Uh, I'm going to go through uh, various parts of Scripture, so we're not going to have all of them up on the screen. Uh, but I want to encourage you to look through the book of Job later. So there is a, a book in the Bible called Job, and it's in the uh, Old Testament. And it is said that this was one of the very first uh, books that was in the Old Testament canon, even before the law was given to Moses. That's how far back um, it goes. So let's, let's just have a little Cliff Notes version of Job. So Job was uh, a prosperous, prosperous farmer. And he had thousands of animals, sheep, camels, and other livestock. And he was blessed with a large family and he had many servants. He had everything a person could want. A successful business, money, a beautiful ranch, numerous friends, a large, happy family. He was also a powerful man of God who had a strong faith and who trusted God. Job is described as blameless and upright. And you just love that to be written about you, blameless and upright. Life was good, and he was experiencing abundant blessings. So the story goes, God and Satan are having a conversation. And Satan suggests that the only reason that Job trusts God is because that everything is going well for him. And he is successful and wealthy and happy. But God, God disagrees with Satan because he knows Job's heart and his steadfast, steadfast faith in him. And thus, the testing of Job's faith and patience begins. You see, when life is good, we're praising and we're thanking God. But for some, when the challenges come, and they do, in all kinds of ways, we have a tendency to curse or blame God for our troubles. Isn't that just what Satan wants? It's what he wanted Job to do as well. And he, it's what he wants us to do. He wants us to turn on God when the challenges come. So here are these words, it's, it's uh, Job chapter 1, verses 13 through 22. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger at Rye arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. 
when the Sabaeans raised them and they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. And I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God, fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while yet he was still speaking again, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in the oldest brother's home, and suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides, and the house collapsed, and all of your children are dead. I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief, and then he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and he worshipped, and he said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. And then this, this second test comes, and Job is afflicted with these awful, horrible, painful sores all over his body from the top of his head to the toes of his feet. And scripture tells us that he would break apart a clay pot so he could scratch, right, because he itched so bad. Here are these words from Job 2. Uh, this is what his, his wife has to say. His wife says to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. That's what his wife said to him. And I'm thinking back to this little joke that I shared earlier, that the man, he just doesn't want to take any risk that the wife's going to come back to life, right? And then I'm thinking, okay, later in life, I think when Job and his wife are in marriage counseling, that little comment, it just might come up. It just might come up. But Job replied to his wife, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we, should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. So Job's got three friends that, that, that come to visit with him, like we do, right? We've got good friends that come and, and sit with us. So when three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namanite. These are like tricky words, aren't they? Namanite. So when they saw Job from a distance, they barely recognized him barely recognized him, and wailing loudly, they tore their robes and they threw dust in the air uh, over their heads to show their grief, and they sat on the ground. They sat on the ground for seven days with Job, seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw his suffering was too great for words. So again, these three friends, they come to visit, and, and Job is agonizing at this point. He's lost his animals, some of his family. He's been afflicted with horrible sores, and his friends come to visit to cheer him up. Yet their words, after those seven days of silence, don't bode helpful. They just sat with him for seven days, and then they began to offer the advice. They try to convince him that he, he must be suffering because of a terrible sin that he has committed. And they try to persuade him to repent of his sin. But Job, he speaks up for himself and he says that he hasn't sinned enough to deserve all of this. Friends, we can never assume that suffering is because of a person's own fault or a result of sin. And this is their advice to Job. Eliphaz the Temanite. Every time I read this, I want to say termite. 
you just wonder, did he ever get teased, right? Uh, so Eliphaz says to him, go to God and lay your cause before him. And Job says, take back your accusation. And then Bildad says to him, how long will you go on like this? And Job responds, I will say to God, what charges do you have against me? And then Zophar says, get rid of your sins. And Job responds that he's not guilty. People mean well, don't they? They mean well. We think sometimes that we have all the answers or that we have to give all the right answers when we see others suffering. But oftentimes, our friends and our family are just grateful when we show up and when we listen. Sometimes there are no right words, and that's okay. So as the, the, the scripture goes on, Job, he has this pity party, and he goes back and forth with God, and that's okay, right? We go back and forth with God too, and, and he questions, you know, why God is this happening? It's okay if we ask why. Why am I suffering? And Job, he just cries out to God. And this is God's response to him in chapter 40. It says, Then the Lord said to Job, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have all the answers? And then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. And Job, he humbles himself. He humbles himself before God. So the Lord blesses Job in this moment of restoration. The Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life, even more than in the beginning. He had thousands of sheep and camels and oxen and donkeys. He had three more daughters and seven more sons. Scripture tells us that he lived 140 more years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. And then he cried out an old man who had lived a long and full life. Job is a story of patience, of humility, of trust, of faith, and of endurance. We can learn a lot from Job and his friends and family. You see, life happens, and we get frustrated, discouraged at times, and we endure hardships at times. And we have to dig deep for patience. We've got to dig deep for patience. When challenges come, and then they all do, right, in some shape or form. Sometimes our situations can't change. Sometimes they don't change. But what if you can't change the situation and you ask God to change your attitude towards the situation that you're in? It'll do wonders. I'm going to say that again. If you, if you can't change the situation that you're in, then to ask God to change your attitude for whatever it is that you're facing. I heard this saying the other day. It says, every storm eventually runs out of rain. And it does. It does. You see, God never leaves us, and he never forsakes us. There may be a blessing in everything that tests our patience. We just don't know it. We just don't know it. We all have parents, and we were children at one time, and we were teenagers at one time. And sometimes our parents didn't like us for the things that we did. Some of you can maybe relate to that, but they always love us. They always love us. And we have a Heavenly Father who loves us. Even when we do things that maybe he doesn't agree with or the things that he doesn't like that we are doing. 
We don't have a conditional God. He loves us all the time, and he shares in our sorrows and in our joys, in our good times and in our bad times. And he forgives us when we mess up. So why should our relationship with God be conditional? Only praising him in the good times and blaming him when the bad times come. We need to trust in God. One of my favorite Bible verses is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Make your paths straight. Because there are times we just try to control everything, right? We're gonna do, we know which way we're headed, just like this morning. We make the path, right? We make the plan, but God will direct our steps. And we just have to trust him. I love this, this acronym that I want to share with you this morning. Just to, to something to think about. And it's the words worship. Wait upon the Lord. Offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Rest in his presence. I don't know about you, but I'm always in a hurry. I'm going 10 million different directions. My mind's going even many more. Rest in his presence. Sing unto him. Try this. When you're having your quiet time, when you have your prayer t- in your prayer time, sing unto him. Humble yourselves before him. Humble yourselves. Have intentional time with God. Carve out that time. Carve out that time to spend with God and praise him. Praise him. Praise him. We uh, start the season of Lent. Many of you were here Wednesday as, as we start our Ash, start off Lent with our Ash Wednesday service. And uh, a lot of times for, for Lent, people will give something up. They'll give something up. But for me, I can never fully understand the suffering that Christ experienced by giving something up. It's just something that I have a hard time relating to. And I've never been one to give something up for Lent. But that's okay for those of you that do. As I learn more about Jesus and learn about his ministry and his teaching, the more that I see that Jesus wants us to become like him and to imitate the things that he did, to grow his kingdom here on earth. Now, I'm not suggesting that, you know, we become Jesus because we're not going to become Jesus, but to do the things that he did and to become like Jesus, to further, again, his kingdom here on earth. Because denying myself is not necessarily going to help me grow his kingdom. So uh, uh, something that I would like to offer uh, each of you this Lenten season as we started off this Sunday is an invitation and a challenge to do something different. A Lenten challenge as we strive to become more Christ-like. So I want to encourage you uh, to choose one of the fruit of the Spirit attributes. And again, we're supposed to embody all of these. But what is one that you want to choose to, to work on, to peel back the layers to cultivate in your, in your life, to work on over the next six weeks? Is it love? Maybe you want to say, okay, God, I need to do better at love. Loving those around me, maybe loving a stranger, whatever that may look like for you. Loving the Lord. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Which one of those, as you think about that? Uh, how many of you guys have the app? We have the app, right? I want you to, uh, to, to put in Galatians. I want you to put in this scripture. It's Galatians 5, 22 to 23. And there's a place for notes under the sermon. And that's going to help you. That's going to give you the address. And again, I'll give it to you one more time. It's Galatians chapter 5, 
verses 22 to 23. That's where you're going to find the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to pray about where God is calling you in this next six weeks to grow, to embody and to cultivate that fruit, to become more like Jesus, to become more like Jesus. So today, we gather in the house of God, and we gather at the table of Jesus to remember what he did for us and what he does in us through the elements of the bread and the cup. I would invite uh, those who are serving communion, uh, if you'd like to come forward at this time and go ahead and get in a place, I'd like to invite the team to come up as well. Why don't you join me in a time of prayer? Father God, we come before you, and we just thank you for this opportunity to gather with our family at your table to share this meal of the bread and the cup and to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for each and every one of us, that those who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. And God, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, that you dwell with us even in these moments. So God, I pray that you would bless these elements of the bread and the cup, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon them, that they would be for us your body and your blood. And I pray, Lord, as we receive these elements, Lord, that we would be changed, uh, that we just don't come to any table and any meal, but this would be a meal that would sustain us by your power and your spirit. We come before you now to pray the prayer that you taught your disciples. Won't you join me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That night when Jesus shared that last supper, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks. And he said, this is a sign of the new covenant. My blood poured out for you for, your, for the forgiveness of your sins and the sins of many. Take and drink in remembrance of me. In the United Methodist Church, communion is an open table. All are welcome to come and partake in this meal. This morning, we will be taking communion by intinction, which means you'll come forward and take a piece of bread off of the plate and dip it into the cup. We also have gluten-free elements here in the center. The ushers are coming now to dismiss you by row. Friends, come and dine. The table has been set for you.